This is when Elijah was in despair, distress. He's, he's on the run from Ahab and Jezebel who wants nothing more than to see his head on a pike, John the Baptist style. And Elijah's praying to God and saying, God, I'm jealous for you, but everybody else has abandoned you. There's no one else left but me, and they want to kill me also. And so God takes a strange turn, and this story that I'm going to talk about today actually really isn't so much about Elijah, but this is God's response. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elisha passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he, Elijah, said to him, Elisha, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the story of Elisha's call. Thank you for his response. Thank you for the things that we can learn from it. Uh, I, I pray as you've shown me that you'll show the men here certain things in Elisha's response that I think are applicable to all of us today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take this off because I may wander. Um, so that there are a few things in Elisha's response that God kind of spoke to me. I've been thinking about it for a long time, actually, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you guys and study this out a little more. But um, there are three main things, I think, that we can learn um, and hopefully apply to our lives. Uh, the first thing is that Elisha's response was immediate, and it was in the affirmative. As soon as Elijah comes by and puts his mantle on him, Elisha's ready to go right then. He runs after him, says, I just got to say bye to my folks, and I'm totally with you. Right now, let's go. And we don't really see that a ton in scripture, we get a lot of the other, we get a lot of, you know, let me wait until my dad dies. That's what let me bury my father means. His dad was still alive. Let me wait until my dad is dead and I can bury him and then I'll go follow you. Or, oh, I've got my business or I've got my family to tend to. I've got these things and when all this happens, then, then I'll, think about, I'll think about answering the call that's been placed on my life. Not with Elisha. Immediately. Elijah puts the mantle on him. He says, boom, okay, you've appointed me. I know who you are. As Jackie said, prophets weren't too hard to find. You, know, they, uh, you knew them when they were coming. So he says, okay, you, you've appointed me to follow you. Okay, I'm going to follow you. No problem. You know, I'll, we'll settle it now, and I'll be on my way. The only other real spot I see that immediacy is with Peter and Andrew and James and John in Matthew chapter 4. 
Jesus comes and says, follow me. And what do they do? They drop their nets and get out of the boat, and they go follow him right then and there. But those guys are the exceptions and not the rule. We see in Jonah, go to, tar- go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, nah, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to go as far in the opposite direction as I can. The Israelite spies, nope, we're not going to go in the promised land. That's, you know, it, it's too hard. They're, they're too big. They're too strong. Um, you know, you sent us there to die. The parable of the wedding feast, those who have counted the cost, like Levi said yesterday. Um, the rich young ruler who was troubled because Jesus said, sell all your belongings and follow me because he had a lot of things that were in his life. Um, even who is my neighbor, the good, the good Samaritan parable, trying to justify himself rather than having to follow Jesus. And Israel, pretty much in the entire Bible, is not answering the call that God has placed on their life. So there will be opportunity to reject that call, but there also will be consequences. Everybody here knows what happened to Jonah when he went to Tarshish, right? God raised up a big fish, whale, shark, some fish that God just created for that specific purpose. I don't really know. Um, The spies went 40 years in the wilderness until everybody but Joshua and Caleb from that generation was dead. Uh, The wedding feast, they're cast into outer darkness. So... There are opportunities to reject that call. There will be consequences of that call. But I think in most cases, that just goes to say that God is very creative in testing our will. We have free will. But God will put us in situations to see how far that will will go before ultimately, if our will is strong, he'll give us what we want. He's a gentleman like that. But God is also faithful to give second chances. After Jonah realized his error and prayed to God and was spit out on the beach, What were the very first words from God when Jonah was on that beach? Arise, go to Nineveh, for its wickedness has come before me. The very same words that he said in Jonah 1 were the very same words that he leads off with in Jonah chapter 3. So the answer, when God calls us, we must be prepared to answer immediately and in the affirmative. That is the way we render unto God the things that are God's. When we talk about the coin, it wasn't about the coin. It wasn't about, are we supposed to pay taxes? That's what the Pharisees thought it was about. But the Pharisees said, Jesus said, who is on the image of the coin? The Pharisees said, Caesar. So give that to Caesar. Who's on the image of you? Whose image are you in? We're in the image of God. Give to God the things that are God's. The second thing about Elisha's response is that it was decisive and it was life-altering. Not only did he go immediately say his goodbyes and set his affairs in orders, he killed the two oxen he was working with. And then he used the plow that those two oxen were attached to, and he burned it to boil the meat so that they could all eat, and then Elisha went on his way. There's no going back from that. Jackie likes to bring up the, the story of uh, Cortez, the Spanish conquistador. They sailed across from Spain to go on an expedition in Mexico. And as soon as those men set foot on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, Cortez gave the order to sink the ships. There was only going forward. There was no going back, guys. And that's what it means to follow. In the movie Lord of the Rings, it's one of my favorite pictures. It's kind of an abstract, but work with me here. You see Arwen. She's a high elf. The love story with Aragorn, right? She is supposed to go off with her kin. Work with me! Is it? The, uh, so, but, she, but she ends up playing an instrumental role because she believes that she is meant to help Aragorn and the men and you know, all of the mortals, even though she's not a mortal. And she casts her lot with the men. 
when she does that, she forfeits her immortality. She starts to die. But she makes that choice knowing that ultimately at some point she's going to have to experience death. And her words say, there is no ship that can bear me hence. There is no going back from this. I have made my decision. It is set. I am walking forward. I am not looking back. I go back to James and John. They left a pretty lucrative fishing operation. It says later in the Gospels that John was known by the high priests when Jesus was on trial. That means that he and his family had, they had something. They had to have some sort of tie to the high priest. And they left their dad just chilling in the boat with the nets. See you, dad. Peace out. Jesus has called us. We're going to go follow him. Uh, don't worry. I'm sure you'll figure the fishing business thing out. But they, ha- they had status. They had all of these things going for them. And yet, immediately, when they received the call of Christ, they took that dramatic step to just drop the nets, get out of the boat, and go follow this guy because there's something different about him. And they did not look back. Third, and probably the biggest one, Elisha knew he was signing up for life. The Bible is laden with people who got that call, who got that anointing, who got a promise from God, but it didn't happen right then and there. It was a lifelong deal. Abraham was 75 years old when God told him, you're going to be the father of a great nation, and they're going to be as numbered as the stars of the sky or the sand of the beach. How long did he have to wait before Isaac was born? 25 years. Joseph had a dream when he was 17 years old of his brothers bowing to him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him to slavers. The slavers sold him into Egypt. He ended up working for Potiphar. He got falsely accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. Got thrown in jail. By the time anybody remembered about him, he was 30 years old. And that was when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Seven more years of plenty before the seven years of famine. And we don't know when in those seven years of famine his brothers came and bowed before him. But it's at least 20 years that Joseph had to wait for the promise of God. David was anointed as a kid, as the future king of Israel, and he had to wait almost 20 years before Saul was dead and he could take the throne. The apostles waited three years. Jesus even repeatedly in the Gospel of John, it says, his hour had not yet come. My hour has not yet come. His hour had not yet come. Even Jesus had to wait. Why should we expect otherwise? For Elisha, he spent at least five years working and learning under Elijah. And I believe that was in order to know how to be an effective and accurate representative of God to the people. Guys, the call and the commission are almost always separate events. And we must remain patient and not lose heart in the process. God has called each one of you to something. I don't know what that is. Some of you guys may not even know what that is yet. But God has called each of you to something. But he's going to prepare you. And it may happen overnight. That seems to be the exception more than the rule. But you guys need to be aware that when God calls you and you answer in the affirmative and you answer immediately and you take those dramatic steps, it's life-altering. You're, you're only going forward. You're never looking back. I'm going to use an example from the ride up here. Uh, I'm hopping in the back seat of Dave's truck, uh, Suburban, and I'm sitting there and I'm fumbling around and I can't find the seatbelt. And I'm looking and I'm digging around and I can't, I can't find it at all and we're going to pick up Mark. And I, look, I take one last look and I kind of look down there and I say, oh, there it is. I was, I was looking behind the seat. I wasn't looking. It, I didn't think that it had fallen forward. And Dave turns around and says, well, always look forward. Don't look back. 
And I kind of chuckled and I'm like, good one, Dave. But, you know, it, it's dead on. Because these guys didn't look back to what they left. They looked forward to the call that had been placed on their lives. And they, they weren't really too concerned about all of the other stuff. They just wanted to keep pressing, keep going forward, keep learning. Because they knew eventually, one day that it was going to happen for them, that it was going to be their time. One day, it was Jesus' hour. Abraham had a son and named him Isaac. David became king. Joseph had the realization of his dream. Pentecost happened. One day, Elijah went into heaven, and it was Elisha's turn. And that's going to happen for each one of us in our own various ways, as long as we don't lose heart. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary in doing good. Because we will reap in due season if we don't lose heart. Philippians 1.6, Jackie alluded to it already. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. It will happen, but only if we stay the course. Luke 11, Matthew 6, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. If us guys here, being evil, know how to give our kids and our wives and our family members good things. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's the empowerment to do the things that he's called us to do. And I speak on these three things from a little bit of experience, as most of you may know. Um, Some of you don't. My family has been called to serve in Romania uh, long term. We view it as a permanent move that, you know, we'll come back on vacation, but as far as we're concerned, we're going to be there until the wheels fall off or God calls us somewhere else. That call has been placed on my heart. The the seed of it was placed in my heart for missions 18 years ago before I was even saved. Specifically as it relates to Romania, that has been 14 years in the works. Three and a half years since we finally said, okay, we're going to pursue this with all that we have. And I'm still standing here in the Stanley Basin of Idaho three and a half years later. That wasn't my plan. Just like it wasn't Jackie's plan to have a son that has autism. Just like it wasn't Brian's plan to not be able to have kids of his own. This wasn't my plan. You know, no offense, I love you guys. I'd much rather be in Romania right now because that's what God has called me to. But there are things both good and bad that have caused growth that I never would have experienced going going through this. It wasn't my plan to live in a trailer for 10 months and counting. It wasn't my plan to lose my house. It wasn't my plan to have all these kinds of distractions, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as Jason put it brilliantly, in my opinion, yesterday. Chasing after little shiny things like I'm, you know, a squirrel or you know, dog chasing squirrel or monkey looking at shiny things or whatever. Just, ooh, look at that. That wasn't my plan. My plan is to be somewhere else. But I wouldn't be standing here right now being able to relay the truth of God to you. And I wouldn't have met a lot of you people and called you guys my friends. And I wouldn't have grown. I wouldn't be leading worship. I wouldn't be leading college study. I wouldn't be leading the convalescent home ministry. There are so many things that I would not have gotten to do if I had lost heart, if I had taken a shortcut, or if I had just flat given up. So all that is to say is I want to challenge you guys. I want to encourage you guys. Each of you knows that God has called you to something. So be sure that when you receive that call, that you answer immediately and you say yes. 
You don't need to look too far in the Bible to see what happens to the folks that say no to God. It doesn't usually end well. And if God calls you to something that's life-altering, go in guns blazing. Don't look back. But realize also that you're signing up for the process. This thing's for life. Now, it's, not, it's one thing to feel great coming off this mountain and say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But when we come back down into the valley, it, that's where it gets hard. That's where everything gets real. And that's where we've got to decide as we watch the Truth Project if what we believe, what we profess we believe up here, if we really believe that that is really real, then we're going to do those three things. We're going to say yes to God and we're going to say it right away and we're going to do whatever we need to do to make sure that we can follow God and there is no turning back and we'll do it for life. So that's my challenge and my encouragement to you guys. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the examples of your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your call and how sometimes it puts us in awkward situations or things that aren't ideal for us but we know that in that furnace of affliction Lord that's where you go to work I pray for these guys Lord I know you've placed a call on each one of their lives just as you placed on mine and the other guys in leadership here and you, the call goes out to everybody I just pray that they would respond and that they would say yes to whatever it is that you have called them to do and that they would do it immediately with zeal and for life, Lord. I want that for each guy here. I know you want that for each guy here. And I just pray that we would walk in that, that we would cling to that truth, Lord, and know that you are good, even when things seem bad, even when we have to wait, because we're following you. And you are the good shepherd, and we hear your voice, and you're going to lead us to good pasture when the time is right. I just thank you for the things that you've done in my life. I thank you for the for just the examples I see in other people that are an inspiration to me when things get hard. And God, we just love you. Just help us to chase after you with all that we've got, Lord. And that we'd put all the distractions to the side and follow you for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.